Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. In 2012, Michigan passed Right to Work, which means workers would have the choice on whether or not to join a union. Now this year, that choice is being taken away from the citizens of Michigan because the state has repealed Right to Work, and it's waiting to be signed by Governor Whitmer. So is this a good thing or a bad thing for workers? We're going to talk about that. Some workers have an issue with the way their dues are being spent, such as political activity that they don't agree with because it goes against their own political beliefs. Also, when does being forced to pay dues to union officials doesn't have any incentive to do with best uh, with, with doing their best because there's no competition for that. On today's podcast, we have Terry Bowman, who has worked at Ford Motor Company for 26 and a half years and opted out of paying dues after right to work passed. He also had a hand in getting it passed back in 2012. Terry, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Jeff, it's my pleasure to be with you. I'm doing fantastic. I hope you're doing well. Well, good. Listen, I don't know that I've I'm trying to think if I've ever really owned a car other than a Ford. I have a Ford F-150 pickup. My (laughs) wife has a Ford uh, uh, Explorer. I have a Ford Expedition. My daughter has a Ford Escape. Is that good enough for you? Well, I think that is fantastic. In fact, my (laughs) father worked for Ford. I have aunts and uncles that work for Ford. I have cousins that work for Ford. My whole family's relationship and loyalty with Ford Motor Company goes deep and it goes really far back. And uh, trust me, I love to hear what you're saying. Yeah. No, so how did you end up working for Ford? Well, it's interesting. Uh, before I went to work for Ford when I was 31 years old, before that, I was actually in the banking industry and I was a bank loan officer. Um, and, and I remember the year before I had the opportunity to go work, a uh, person came in and applied for a loan Uh, to buy a $120,000 boat, and he wanted to borrow $90,000 on this boat. So uh, (laughs) I had to tell him what he needed to bring to me uh, in order to apply for the loan. Part of that was his last two years tax returns. Now, uh, being in Southeast Michigan here, I had given uh, plenty of loans to auto workers in the past, and I knew how much they made back then. Well, this guy totally blew me away. He laid down his tax returns and he was making close to $130,000 a year. And this is back in 1995. And his job description, he was Mm -hmm. a cleaner for Ford. He was somebody who went around (laughs) and and cleaned up the area. um, And it completely changed my whole worldview at that that moment. Um, About six months after that happened, Uh, I had the opportunity uh, to go work for Ford like the rest of my family, and my mind immediately went back to this gentleman, uh, and I said, you know what? Yes, I think I want to go to work for Ford. <laughs> well, that 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 makes sense. That'll make a believer out of you when you see those uh, see those tax returns, and and they're doing that. Um, so, what have you done while working at Ford? Tell me the different jobs. I mean, what do you what do you do now for them? Sure. Well, uh, when I hired in back in 1996, I hired right on the assembly line. 
Um, it was a complete culture shock to the professional type of atmosphere I was used to, the suit and tie, uh, the the customer service type of app, um, culture that I was used to working in at the bank. Uh, when I showed up for orientation and I see uh, guys, you know, uh, dressed in T-shirts and shorts and and with a ball cap on their head without shaving for a couple of days, it was a total culture shock to me when I went to work for Ford. But, um, you know, uh, very soon <laughs> I, I joined in and, and I became just uh, one of the guys uh, that were working on the line. You know, I enjoy my job even to this day. I love putting America on wheels. I love uh, the fact that we are building a product that's uh helping people in their daily lives throughout the United States and beyond. So I love my job. Unfortunately, though, uh, it comes with the fact that uh, I had to join the union when I um, was hired in, uh, a union that unfortunately is involved in political and social agendas that I disagreed with uh, right from the beginning. But I was a newbie. I had no idea, no clue. And of course, I was never told by either the union or the uh, company HR office that I actually had an option back then to exercise what's called my Beck rights, which uh, meant that I could withdraw my membership out of the union and just pay a percentage of union dues that the union decides is the fair market value of, of what they actually spend on representational activities. So right, right. Um, nobody told me that. So I went years and years and years paying my union dues, getting angry at the fact that my union kept supporting uh, not only candidates that I uh, believed, uh, and maybe I should say I knew their policies were hurting job creation, job growth, not only here in the state of Michigan, but around the United States, but also involved in so much social agenda activity as well, getting involved in issues that had nothing to do with the auto industry, that had nothing to do with representing me in the realms of the workplace. And and so you get so angry that at, cert, at a certain point uh, back in late 2009, um, I had had enough after I saw my union come out with a newsletter that said, healthcare reform, what would Jesus do? And uh, as a man of faith and as a man who was attending a Christian college and seminary at the time, um, I got very angry at this uh, this article that they had taken scripture completely out of context and made Jesus look like he would be a socialist and that he would ultimately <laughs> approve of what is now known as Obamacare. So at that point, my whole activism started and and I started organizing conservatives within the unions, and we started fighting back against uh, the political activity that unions spend so much of dues money on. I mean, obviously, you you want to make sure that uh, people aren't being forced to use their union dues against their own political wishes, and that's that's one of the big issues. But what, I mean, what are some of the other problems that you see with forcing workers? I mean, this is literally forcing a worker to join a union in, in the state of Michigan uh, if that industry is unionized, right? Yeah. Well, um, as I said, there was still an opportunity to do something called exercise your Beck rights. And, and your Beck rights come from a Supreme Court case called uh, Beck versus the Communication Workers of America, where it said that uh, you could first cancel your union membership. So you would have to pull out of the union. And of course, mm -hmm. there's a lot of intimidation, a lot of pressure 
uh, on doing that uh, in the first place. But then you could just pay a part of the percentage of the full union dues that the union decides uh, is what uh, the value is that they give you for their representational activities. They take away what they say they spend on political activity. But unfortunately, um, we know, Jeff, that uh, the unions spend a ton of money on political activity that they don't really call political. They might term it as, let's say, educational or let's say organizing or or team building exercises or something like that. Um, and, and in 2012, I was lucky enough and was asked to testify in front of the U.S. House um, uh, for the Oversight Committee and uh, was asked to testify for a hearing entitled Protecting Union Workers from Forced Political Contributions. And that's exactly what it is, is not only do they force you to pay them money or get fired, but it's also forced speech and it's forced political contributions because in its very nature, a union is political uh, in its very core. And so when I testified in, in front of this uh, committee hearing in 2012, um, I listed example after example after example of how unions um, are still engaged in a lot of political and social activity, but they call it something different. And um, uh, it, it's unfortunately so, in my opinion, exercising your Beck rights doesn't really protect you from forced political speech, which is what uh, a union does with your union dues. Um, it doesn't go far enough. And really, the only way to protect the, um, the ability of the worker, the individual worker, to protect themselves from political speech and social, social speech that they may not agree with is a full right to work law. And that is allowing the worker to pull out of the union, stop paying the union and saying, thank you, but no, thank you. I do not see value of what you're offering me and what you're spending my money on. So I'm not interested in being a part of the union. Um, to, to this day, that is really uh, the only way to uh, protect the individual worker. Yeah, you talk about the the Beck decision, and actually, when I was uh, pretty young, I worked for uh, a dairy, and it was a unionized shop. It was the Teamsters, and and I basically did that. Uh, I had to still pay them union dues, got no union benefits, but still paid the union dues uh, to them. And so, you know, I'm a former Teamster, I guess, <laughs> as well. Um, but it was, it was, uh, you know, to me, it always struck me as odd that there are people out there who claim to be advocating for quote unquote workers' rights, but yet they're against, you know, that worker having any say at all in whether or not they join a union. I mean, you're not against unions. You're just for the freedom of deciding whether or not somebody wants to be a member of the union or not, right? That is absolutely correct. In other words, you can say that you're pro-union and still say you're pro-right to work, and they don't self-contradict each other. Um, uh, the thing that I always tell people who, who talk to me the first time is I am pro-union, but in the context of what unions were created to do back in, back in the early, early days, unfortunately, not what they've become. And what they've become really is the... Um, uh, the coffers for uh, one political party in the United States and uh, uh, their grassroots army. Um, and so it's unfortunate uh, that it is the way it is. Um, 
But, uh, you know, everything that I do in my activism, the whole reason that I fought so hard in 2012 for Michigan to pass a right to work law and why I'm I'm, uh, finding myself right back there again after 10 years uh, is the fact that it all comes down to the rights, freedoms and protections of the individual worker and what they should expect in uh, there in the workplace. Um, Because think about it, it, without a right to work law in place, when a union knows that a worker has to financially support them, whether they do a good job or a bad job, that union official can put his feet up on the desk and and laugh all the way to the golf course. And many of them do. Um, Many of your listeners may know that uh, here in Southeast Michigan, I am represented by the UAW. Um, my father was represented by the UAW. His brothers and sisters, generations, have been um, represented by the UAW. But nobody has ever had the opportunity to vote to say whether or not they wanted to be a union member. It just came with the job as a condition of employment with Ford Motor Company. So once the unions become entrenched in a place of business, you're never going to get them out of there. Doing a decertification vote is very, very difficult. And the coffers that the unions have, the the purse strings, they will spend millions and millions of dollars to make sure that you cannot win a, a decertification vote. Um, so it, unfortunately, it leads to a culture of corruption inside the union. And we've seen that with the UAW. Um, the UAW is just now coming off about a seven-year federal corruption trial where we saw two past presidents of the union, along with countless others being thrown into prison uh, because of the the culture of corruption that is unfortunately a part of a union when they are not answerable or accountable to the membership. And that's exactly what right to work means to me. Well, and what would you say to those people who would say, um, you know, this is unfair because if you, uh, you don't have to take the job. If you don't like being a union member, you could just go work somewhere else. We have a union here. What, what do you say to folks who, who make that argument? Well, I, I think it's funny. Um, they don't want to give unions um, equal rights. They want to give them special rights. And what I mean by that is you can throw it uh, right back at them and say, well, well what if uh, you were forced to fund the Republican Party? Uh, as a condition of employment, would you be okay with that? What if you right. had to um, fund the NRA? What if you, you know, pick and choose whatever activity you want? Um, what if that is a condition of your employment, of you simply going in and applying for a job and you're pursuing your American dream? Um, it's not right in any way. Um, and unfortunately, Um, I am bound by the union contract, whether or not I am a union member or not. And let me explain that a little bit. Even though I withdrew my union membership and I do not pay dues, of course, the union officials will say that I'm a free rider. I'm sure you've heard that term. Um, It's actually not true. And the reason why I say that is Every single contract that a union negotiates with the employer, in the very first, second, or third paragraph, it's right up on top, it says that the company in the union agree that the union shall be the exclusive representation agent of everybody in the bargaining unit, whether they are a member or a non-member. 
So I'm not a, a free rider on the union contract. I'm actually a forced rider. I'm forced to accept that union contract, whether I'm a member of the union or not. So um, it all you have to do is bring out the truth and bring out reality of, of the situation. Uh, and it, every time I've had a debate on stage or at a podium with a union official, uh, it every time that they can't answer my question with, why don't you just do a members only contract? Uh, and then guess what? If I pull out of the union, I'll have to represent myself. And what I have found is that union officials, union executives will give up right to work in the long run, but they will never, ever, ever give up their exclusive representation privilege uh, that they have in the union contract. Because, for example, what if I was able to represent myself and I, I said, you know what? What's really important to me is I need an extra week vacation. So I'm willing to take a dollar less if I can get an extra week vacation. And the company might say, you know what? That works out for us. Um, uh, or, or what if I get a better contract than what the union does? Um, mm -hmm. Whatever their reasoning, they will never give up their exclusive representation uh, and force me to accept their union contract. So I can never do better than what the union contract says I can do. And in some ways, it makes for a less um, a less flexible work workplace and work environment for individual employees, right? Because you you have to follow the same rules that have already been established under that contract. So you, as you said, you can't negotiate a better deal on paid time off or or even salaries and things because that's all kind of controlled by the union and the contract. Yeah. Well, um, exactly. And you know what a lot of people forget is that. A union contract has a floor uh, salary rate uh, for the workers, and a union likes to, you know, pump their fist in the air and and say equal pay for equal work. Well, unfortunately, it's not always equal work, and um, those union contracts not only have a floor but they have a ceiling. So, if there's a worker out there who really wants to to work hard and do the best that they can. A company cannot say, you know, um, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith, we really like the job you're doing and we want to give you a bonus so that you'll stay. Guess what? The company cannot do that because of the uh, union contract. Um, so it not only has a floor, but it has a ceiling. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say on that is um, I believe it leads to uh, everybody working at a lower capacity. And what I mean by that is, let's say that I am a model employee. I, I'm working hard. I'm doing everything I can uh, to, to make myself better, make the job better, and build a, an exceptional part or a vehicle for Ford Motor Company. But yet, I work with somebody right next to me who barely does enough to not get fired. What's going to happen in that situation? A worker like me uh, might say, you know, why am I working so hard? It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't benefit me. Um, and pretty soon that leads to everybody coming down to what I would say is the lowest common denominator. And it, it just it leads to a less productive environment uh, when you have a situation like that. So let's talk about right to work. You helped get right to work passed in Michigan, um, and I'd love to hear about how you did help get it passed. But also, it, it, I mean, right to work. How, what does it do to unions? If you're a right, if it's a right to work state, unions can still 
exist, right? Sure. Um, and in fact, you know, when we did our right to work campaign back in, we started it in, in 2010. Um, we really did a, a lot um, of town hall meetings and, and meetings with union members and meetings with the media all around the state of Michigan started in 2010. Um, uh, our local chapter of Americans for Prosperity was very, very, very involved with that. We had support from uh, think tanks like the Mackinac Center uh, here in the state of Michigan. Um, of course, the National Right to Work uh, Committee is, is involved in a, a right to work campaign as well. And it's all about getting the truth and reality out over and above the talking points of what union officials will say that right to work does. Now, you mentioned um, that uh, it still allows right to uh, it still allows unions to exist. Well, of course, what the union officials will do and what they did in this case is they said that if right to work passes, it's going to be the ending of unions in Michigan, that it's going to weaken them, that it's going to take away their ability to collectively bargain, that it's going to take away their ability to organize new facilities, that it's going to cause division within the workplace. Well, we argued against that and, and we were able to do that effectively because we have a long history ever since the passage of the Taft-Hartley Act in 1947. Uh, and states were able to choose for themselves whether they wanted to be a right-to-work state or not. We had a history of showing what happens to unions in those states. And so, again, we were able to overcome their arguments very easily with just some, some statistics and, and realities. When Michigan passed its right-to-work law in 2012, guess what? Unions did not weaken. Uh, in many instances, they add members. And it, the whole reason why is because businesses were starting to look at Michigan again as a place to relocate. So businesses would come in, job growth started uh, coming in, and uh, it was good for everybody. Uh, the right to work law did not weaken unions. It did not take away their ability to collectively bargain. It did not take away their ability to organize new facilities. And I can tell you as a 26 and a half year worker, as a guy who um, exercised my rights, freedoms and protections under the right to work law, that it did not cause a device, any division inside the Ford facility that I work at or any other one that I had heard about. And the reason why is clear. There are people that have worked together for years and years and years, and everybody knows that even if this person withdrew their union membership, they did it for reasons uh, of their own, and they're, it's not intended to be a malicious uh, in any way, shape, or form. I have people that, I, like I said, I've known for, uh, for a long, long, long time that I work with side by side that they continue to pay the union. Uh, and I work with people who uh, who no longer pay the union like like myself. We all get along. It's just the way that it was before and uh, did not cause the division. So, um, yeah, we knew that uh, the union talking points were not true. And uh, the unions uh, in Michigan, you know, outside of uh, some of the public sector uh, unions, um, are, are still doing as well as they did back in 2012. In some of the public sector unions, we saw huge amounts of people leaving uh, the unions. And the reason why is because they took their workers for granted uh, so bad that some places like uh, 
AskMe in, in Michigan um, actually lost up to a third of their membership. And of course, what happened then when competition comes in for those worker dues, all of a sudden the union starts uh, acting a little better and starts acting a little more responsible. And it, it, it brings them back to their original charter purpose, which is to represent the worker in the realms of the workplace. Well, you, you bring up a good point. It, it, you know, it really does create a monopoly of representation on their part. And you talked about, um, you know, that monopoly. And, and when you can break that, actually workers benefit from it. We, we see the, the leadership of unions seem to benefit uh, when they can not have right to work. But uh, but it seems like they're the ones that are benefiting the most is that the union leadership is benefiting at the expense of the worker who do, who no longer has a choice about whether or not they want to pay union dues. And these, you know, union dues, it's quite a bit of money coming out of your paycheck, isn't it, when, when you choose to do that? It is. And in fact, in the UAW um, in 2014, I believe it was, um, raised union dues 25% in one fell swoop, which is just unbelievable that they did that back then. But they said they had to shore up the strike fund. Uh, which we know that they took the exact same amount of money that they um, increased into the strike fund. Uh, they then went and took that exact same amount of money out and, and funded a political um, campaign in California uh, for a union bill that was going into uh, place in California. So, um, you know, I always say that uh, right to work is very pro a union worker because it empowers the worker. You give uh, the worker a little power that they've lost uh, when they've given the union the ability to uh, negotiate and and take control over their whole relationship with their employer. Um, so right to work empowers the worker and it allows them to choose for themselves whether or not they think the union is worth their um, their time and their money. Um, and of course, union officials hate that. Um, they, like a drone bee in a hive, they want workers to shut up and uh, to pay their dues money and be quiet. You know, Jeff, what I found over the years is um, some, un some unions, including my own UAW, it, it almost becomes cult-like, where you are you're afraid of the cult. Uh, when you're a member, you're afraid to leave it. You're afraid to speak ill of it. You're afraid to talk bad about the leadership. Um, because if you do, uh, you don't know what the repercussions will be. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that people have to work in that kind of environment. But uh, it happens all around the United States, just not in Southeast Michigan. So how much how much are union dues? I mean, I'm sure it varies a lot, but I mean, just give, give listeners, I mean, for those of us who aren't union members, how much would this be coming out of a paycheck, you think, in in, in maybe an average? So uh, for the UAW, it's once a month, it comes out of your pay and uh, you are charged two and a half hours a month. Um, so let, let's say somebody's making $30 an hour, that's... Uh, uh, $75 a month uh, that you're paying the union. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a significant amount, significant amount of money at a time when, you know, inflation is biting, uh, taxes are rising and all of this. It should be something that a worker should be able to make the decision about whether or not 
uh, they they want to spend uh, spend those dollars, but it seems like uh, union leaders don't want them to do that. Well, you know, I always use the analogy. Um, imagine a restaurant. Uh, imagine a restaurant that opens up in wherever it is that you live, and everybody in the whole area are forced to spend their money at this restaurant. Well, if the restaurant knows that, if the restaurant knows that everybody is forced to spend their money there, what's going to happen to the quality of service? What's going to happen to the um, the cost of the service? And and uh, what's going to happen to the actual services that they provide? They're all going to suffer because, as you said, there's no competition for, for the worker dollar. And so what Right to Work does is... Uh, it, it gives some of that power and that freedom back to the worker that they gave up. And, of course, union officials and, unfortunately, the um, their party leaders that uh, are involved in the public policy part of this uh, the, in the Democrat Party uh, hate the, a free-thinking um, worker in a union. Like I said, um, pay your dues and shut up and be happy that you have a job. And I've actually been told that those uh, almost those exact words by right. a, a previous uh, union chairman when I was working on right to work. So, yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. Now, the, the bill to repeal right to work in Michigan has it hasn't been signed by the governor yet. So what what can people do or, or can people listening to this? What can they do to to try and affect this and stop the repeal of right to work in Michigan? Well, I, you know, obviously contacting the governor's office is, is so important. Um, we know that uh, we, we've spent a lot of money on uh, polling in the state of Michigan. We know that uh, by more than a two to one margin, uh, citizens of the state of Michigan uh, do agree with the right to work law. When you ask them simply, uh, do you think a individual worker should have the ability to choose for themselves whether or not to join and pay dues to a union? Uh, the answer is overwhelmingly uh, by the citizens of Michigan um, that the answer is yes. But it even goes further. In union households, it is almost it is actually about two to one in union households believe that a worker should have the ability to choose for themselves. So it brings up the question, why is this really being repealed? If this is not something the citizens want, um, in Michigan, the Democrat Party, for the first time in nearly 40 years, has complete control of the state government. They have the House, they have the Senate, they have uh, the governor, the executive branch. Um, and right now, they're just going crazy on, on passing stuff that they've been wanting to pass for decades. Uh, this is not something workers want. This is not something families want in the state of Michigan. This is not something that job creators want in the state of Michigan. Um, so why are they doing it? Well, it becomes very clear that this is simply a political payback, um, giving that power back to union officials so that they do not have to be answerable and accountable to the membership, that they can go ahead and spend that dues money however they want and continue to force workers to give them money as a condition of employment. Um, so obviously contacting uh, your state representatives, contacting your senators, even though they've passed the House, they've passed the Senate. Uh, we need everyone to know uh, what an ugly law this is and how bad it is for workers in the state of Michigan. Um, outside of that, uh, we fully expect the governor to sign it. 
Um, and uh, we do not believe that they have what's called immediate effect, which means the law would not go into effect until 90 days after the end of the session, which is uh, in December, at the end of December, when they leave for winter break. So this law would not go into effect until March of 2024. So we have a lot of time between now and then to maybe uh, to persuade them uh, to change their mind on this. Um, I can tell you that there's a lot of talk about legal challenges. There's a lot of talk about um, uh, referendums, uh, ballot uh, proposals here in Michigan. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how all that falls out because we can't really do anything until we know whether or not it is uh, it is repealed and, uh, and exactly what's happening with it. But uh, what I what I should say is that everybody needs to just stay on this, stay aware of what's going on and be ready to fight for worker rights in the state of Michigan. Well, listen, Terry, you are you're a pretty strong fella for fighting this fight. Uh, like like we always talk about on this podcast is people could just could just sit back and many do most do just kind of sit back and say, well, I'm not going to cause a fuss. I'm just going to get my get my check. But that's kind of a selfish way to think about things. And I want to thank you for, you know, for standing up. You're not just doing this for you. You're doing it for every worker in America, really, by fighting this fight. And uh, so I, I and it takes courage, right? It'd be easier not to get sneered at by the union shop steward when you every time you walk by, I'm sure. But you're doing the right thing. And, and I really want to thank you for for all the great work that you're doing on that. Well, Jeff, thank you for that. Um, you know, as a man of faith and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very strong in my faith. And, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, damn the consequences. You've got to do what's best. Uh, sure, the um, the threats uh, get ugly. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, they were really, really bad. Uh, they started popping up again a little bit, but not too bad. Um, uh, but you're right. You, you just have to continue to do that. And something you said just a, a minute ago is really important. Um, just being willing to get involved, um, however that looks in whatever uh, cycle of life you are in right now. Maybe that means just joining up with uh, like a local Americans for Prosperity. Maybe that means um, uh, becoming a precinct delegate and, and uh, making phone calls or knocking on doors or something like that. All of those things in your cycle of life, whatever you're able to do, make a big difference uh, and, and really go a long way uh, to helping public policy, not only here in Michigan, but around the United States. Well, listen, that, well said, Terry. That's very well said. And it does take people to get involved. And uh, and so thanks for all that you're doing. By the way, if you would like to get connected with an Americans for Prosperity state chapter, be sure to email me at jeff at AmericanPotential.com. I would love to uh, pass that along to our, to our state chapter and we'll get you taken care of. Um, Terry, again, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Jeff, uh, I'm happy to be on anytime. Keep me on your speed dial. You got it. We'll do that. We'll do that. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. <laughs>